Welcome to Stand at the Table. We are friends in community, part of a church called Cornerstone Christian Fellowship in Westchester, Pennsylvania. Despite our many differences, we aim to stay at the table, which means we don't walk away from each other when we disagree. We believe the best relationships come when we are willing to listen to each other, showing love even when we continue to see the world differently. In today's episode, we answer the question, what's one thing you'd like to convince the whole world of? We have a lot of different conversations and thoughts about this, so buckle up and enjoy the show. Good day, everyone. We're at uh, our Staying at the Table podcast. We have Matt Kistler. Hello. And James Beatty. Hello. Myself, I am Brian Chilcote. Glad to be here. And the Reverend Dr. Tracy Saletta. So, and, oh, oh, don't forget Dave. Doing Dave is making it happen. Yep, Dave behind the scenes. So today we're going to discuss... Uh, an interesting question. It's a very easy question, I hope, because everyone has thoughts and opinions. Uh, We're just going to go around the table and talk about the one or two things we'd really like people to know, something that's always on our mind that we wish we could persuade everyone of, uh, or at least have them know or think about. So top of mind, things you always think about and would love to say to everyone that you meet if you got a chance to persuade them or talk to them about something that's important to you. So where do we want to start? Who's got a thing? I can start with a thing. Okay. I think the one thing that comes to mind when you say that has to do with Christian faith, and that is you don't need to live in shame. And to me, I see so much... So many people and churches kind of just embrace this paradigm of I'm not good enough. I mean, it's kind of an outpouring of total depravity, right? That, you know, everything I do is completely broken. And I can understand how some people that can help them get to a point of seeing their need for Christ. But the downstream implication of that is just an ongoing cloud of shame living over their lives. And the reason why that comes to mind is I've seen in many contexts, the business world, day-to-day life, family, that perspective and mindset just clouding everything. It just warps and twists because... I mean, it really fuels the, I need to be right because otherwise I'm going to be, you know, I'm, me being wrong is just unbelievably shameful. And so whenever we disagree, whenever we have a difference of opinion, whenever things don't go perfectly, I'm just, you know, as low as can be. And then I'm going to lash out in anger or fear and rejection. I'm going to pause on any sort of learning or opportunity that's there to to grow and adjust. And I just see that as such a stunting thing. I mean, in, in my vocational space, I'm really focused on learning. That's something that's kind of at the heart of me and my what I see as what I do for work is helping individuals and organizations learn and get better. Mm-hmm. And if that mindset is there, uh, I mean, you just go home. 
I mean, it's just not <laughs> that that's not the right audience for what I'm peddling. So, there's going to be conflict. There's going to be conflict, and it's just not going to be helpful. Yeah, we, we, we'll just part ways, and I'll say, okay, may, maybe some other day you you'll enjoy what I have to bring. But so that's kind of my own personal experience, and why that comes to mind. Just you don't need to have that shame. Yeah, how do you? Uh, disentangle the ideas of shame versus guilt. How do you differentiate those? To me, I think of shame as uh, speaking to my identity. So when who I am becomes lessened as compared to, well, I, I think about conviction as kind of the counterweight to that as an awareness of something that I have done that was hurtful to others or myself. And in that frame, I see that as a a healthy and helpful emotion and experience. Um, While shame is is allowing that to speak to who you are. It, It attacks the personhood. Right. Shame attacks the personhood of who you are, your very identity. Right. So... That's mine. You know, when you mentioned that, Matt, it reminds me of what um, coaches tell athletes all the time Mm -hmm. of getting in your own head so that the past bad play creates the next one, Mm. right? Living in shame, whatever that past whatever thing is prevents you from doing what you want to do in your next action. And so these things go together. If you get caught in this, oh, I messed up. Oh, I did this. Uh, now you're not thinking about what's happening presently. Mm-hmm. What's going on now that you can control because the history you cannot control. It's done. It's over. It's beyond you. Now, what are you going to do? Um, so I, I like that. And, and yes, if people could learn to live without shame, it would be helpful. And I think a part of that, wouldn't it be... I'm wondering how that fits in with how much you share with people about who you really are Mm -hmm. uh, right now, what you really think right now. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, that's a really good point. That prevents us from living authentically, really. We're always on guard, you know, about what people think about us and how we look to them and all those things. And, uh, you know, it's also... Shame is a great tool for those who want to control other people as well. If you can breed shame in a person, you can easily control them. So we see a lot of that too. Yeah, let's get rid of shame. Yeah. Well, and I think one of the the gifts that I'm most grateful for in my life is that I just wasn't born into that atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Family, my own wiring, whatever it was. Um, You're shameless. I'm shameless. <laughs> I mean, I can receive shame, but that's not my natural response. And, and I'm just like, if only you knew. Like, you, it, it doesn't have to be like that. You you can just like just run. Yeah. So, what is the the what is the tool of shame? How have we utilized it so strong within church, though? Right, it is kind of almost foundational, depending on what what denomination you're in. It, how did that get attached? Am I missing a scripture in yeah, the Bible? You, <laughs> no, <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, it it does seem like such a because of the the sense of 
are our actions leading to an eternal bro if we make the wrong choice we not only have to feel bad about that we not only lose our community we also then you know have the worst possible outcome which is going to hell mm, and right. so it's the worst you know it's just the worst well i think that that's how the church has controlled but let's keep moving Look, I, I just have such a negative bend. I'm really sorry, everybody. <laughs> but um, in answer to your question, what was your question again? Shame and guilt. Okay. Uh, no, 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 no. Oh. What was your question when we oh, started? Oh, oh. The, one thing, the one thing? The one yeah, we thing got sidetracked really, with you this. Could, if you could, everyone you talk to, if there's one thing you want to convince them of or tell them this is what I really think is important or I'm always thinking about this and I'd like you to know it. Yeah, I have like 17. <laughs> oh, okay, I'll go down the list. So, How great you are. Yeah, I, I can't help it. I, you know, I just have a little opinion. That's why I'm on this. Um, but I have to say that for me, and it actually goes along with Matt, is, is what my foundation is love. And that everything that has been created on this earth is, and the universe and the cosmos is from a place of love. And, and everything that is on, I'm going to bring it into this earth, was from a place of love. And that humankind was created um, out of love, the, the nature was created from a space of love. And so, and even, you know, the story of the fall, even after the fall, you know, God did not step away from God's own children, but um, actually covered them and covered them in the fall. And even the story that talks about, you know, them being booted out of, for me, that comes from a place of love and protection. And I'm not going to go into the theology of why I believe that, but it comes from, from safety. It doesn't come from a place of punitive, which people often interpret it that way. I don't. And Christ coming and God coming in the form of Christ is from a place of love. So my bottom line would be that we are loved, period, before we do anything right or wrong, we are loved. And that we begin in a place of belonging and we begin in a place of being solidly loved. And what is our rock is that place of love and belonging. So that when I live my life, I'm living my life from a space of being loved and belonging and a solid identity that I am accepted. So which is the antithesis of shame. And so for me, I honestly could not do my life. I could not do this job. I, I get so many criticisms and I get so many, you know, every person that walks out of the door of this church, I could take personal that I have somehow failed. And if I could not do my job to the way that I do it, 
if I had carried shame and if I was not coming from a place that I am solidly intact, that I, I, I start from a place of completion and that nobody, including my beautiful husband, completes me. I am complete in me. And I'm complete because God looks at me and approves of me. And when I screw up and when I do wrong, God, like a loving parent, says, come on, keep going. That it, That's coming from a place of love. So I don't have to defend. Yeah. And when somebody is critiquing me, which happens constantly, I don't have to defend. I can be comfortable in who I am. And I think of when we were you know, coming from, we're, we're switching uh, our, the, our uh, um, LGBTQ, our inclusivity, you know, and I had somebody in my office and, and they were saying, what if you're wrong? What if you're wrong and you're going to hell? What if you're wrong? And I just said, my whole life is staked on God's love. My whole life is staked on God's grace. And I said, so I guess I'm wrong, you know, but my life is staked on on the love of God. So honestly, that's how I've survived and how I survived mm-hmm. with not being defensive, angry, you know, any of that. And Matt, you're, you know, you're with me on the elder team. You see the challenges and stuff like that. And um, my God, if I got offended every time somebody disagreed with me or somebody challenged me or the elders pushed back on me, I I. I I, I would be a terrible leader. That's my thinking. I would be a terrible leader. So, and you, you've always been like this. No. <laughs> no. So I was going to ask you to describe a time before this. Angry. Yeah. So what were you like? Before? I think I was angry. Angry. I think I fought back. I think I did take it personal. I think that, um, uh, yeah, that I, I would push back. And I think that, when people disagreed or came in and, and you know, whatever, I think that I would be like, yeah, okay, you're a jerk. So honestly, you know, what happened was I, I had a moment of, of a, of a um, what felt like a face-to-face revelation with God that uh, to make me cry, I met love. Like I met love. And it wasn't just love for me. I felt in the moment of being loved by God, I felt I was one of the world. Like it was God was loving me and everybody. And it altered me. And I'm like, oh, this is love. It embraces all. So when I met that, changed me. And that was only five years ago. So I'm 63. So it was like 58. So <laughs> everybody, you have time, you know, but um, yeah, I think before that, I don't know that I ever carried shame, but I certainly carried protection, mm. you know, fear of not being accepted. And if that's mm-hmm. shame, maybe that's shame. Right. How about you, Brian? And anger when that was challenged. Yeah. Yeah. Fear. I, I would say my anger came from a place of fear. Right. All right. Well, for me, so I'd love to go back and discuss all of these too, but I guess I got to give mine. Yeah. I? <laughs> I, I think my uh, one thing would be mostly for speaking into the church or to Christianity. Um, that I, It's hard to capsulize it in one little simple phrase, but I think it would be this, that the Bible isn't what you think it is. 
Uh, my view on the scriptures has changed a lot in the last, say, 20, 15, 20 years. Uh, and I think I would want to encourage people to think about letting the Bible speak for itself a little more than we do um, when it looks like it is contradicting itself. It probably is. The The key is to let it do that and be okay with it mm-hmm. and, and let it speak for itself and, and not have to smash it into a, a box that we define for it. In other words, reading our own dogma back into the scripture, but developing our ideas or letting it inform life on its own terms. Uh, so that it's okay to disagree with Paul. I think in the last episode we talked about how Paul does say some things that are quite concerning in terms of slavery and some other things. Um, to be okay with disagreeing with that part, uh, you know, uh, in First Timothy, which Paul probably didn't write, most likely didn't write, it's later, you know, and talking about how to think or treat women, you know, don't let them speak in church, whatever. Uh, it's okay to say, oh man, Paul had this view that I disagree with uh, and I don't have to agree with it because I don't see it as, you know, in quite the same way as a lot of Christians do, the inspired word of God that has to all fit together in a, a univocal sense where it agrees, everything agrees with everything else. It just doesn't. Even, you know, he talked about reading the Old Testament, Tracy, in the last episode, too, about how there's a lot of things in there, even in the accounts, if you read First and Second Chronicles and compare that with First and Second Kings, there's a lot of differences, uh, different takes on how those events were supposed to have happened. Uh, what do you do with that? Well, it's the simple thing to do with it is just to say, well, there were two different authors or groups of authors writing two different things, uh, their their opinions or their interpretations of the history of the kings of Israel uh, and Judah. And that's okay. They can disagree. We can still benefit from what they're saying and learn something from that. Um, and uh, taking taking the Bible out of the inerrancy box is a, a important corollary to that. I wish I could convince people that uh, you don't have to see the entire Bible as this inerrant, holy thing that came down out of heaven from God's own mind to ours, written you know, in language that through English, and that we're getting the exact thoughts and words of God in every punctuation mark and phrase. Uh, it's punctuation just punctuation that. that we added. Yeah, it was not there in the beginning. People, that's right. And I would see this is why it would take a while for me to talk about this one thing <laughs> because it's there's so much to it. Um, but yeah, there's so much about the Bible that is. It starts with a human interpretation of what was experienced, um, and we all know that when we describe an experience that we've had, it's not. It's not entirely accurate. It's not like we have recorded it on video or... Even when we do. Yeah, even when we do record it There's still interpretation of what you're seeing. Exactly. So when you're talking about 
representing reality through a written source that's thousands of years old and has been translated and uh, updated and different. It's changed over time. Uh, you're talking about a source that's not what we, what I think the church normally expects it to be, and that is an accurate or precise journalistic account of the flood or, you know, King David or any of those things. The writers of those things weren't around when those events happened, and they've been interpreted and talked about. Well, it was oral first. It was, a lot of it was oral, and if uh, you uh, are at all in favor of a scholarly consensus on a lot of these things, which just means that you can go and look at a lot of, like a majority of different scholars who write about these things, have studied these um, ancient documents, um, and it's incredible some of the scholarship that people do. They spend their career on one paragraph of Second Kings, for example, <laughs> uh, and they, they've, they're able to discover a lot, even just through literary criticism and some other ways of looking at these scriptures. Um, you know a scholarly consensus says one thing about how the Old Testament was put together, for example. But we've been taught something else in our churches and from our pulpits. that, uh, And they're quite different. Um, and the question I have, I'm still wrestling with this, is what to do with that gap between the scholarly consensus on the origins of the material in the Bible, Old and New Testament, and how it's presented from the pulpit. Um, like last weekend, uh, we had a really nice message from Sandra that was really good about being held, being feeling safe and secure. But we're using Hebrews 11 to do it, to talk about these different characters from the Old Testament, a lot of which I, I believe are um, not entirely fictional, but mostly they're great stories and they're moral lessons and they're cautionary tales and they they're meaningful and they're they're brilliant in the way that they're told and uh interpreted and those kinds of things but you know when we talk about Cain and Abel they, they probably didn't exist but they're they're stories they're myths and legends that tell us things about ourselves and about God through the experience and through the eyes of the ancients who wrote these things and talked about them. So that'd be my one thing, one long thing that I would You would like freak to people him. out. I know. I'm probably I, You probably PR are. People right don't be freaked out. It's okay. No, don't be freaked because this is the, the staying at the table concept. You know, I, I disagree with a lot of orthodox beliefs in, you know, Christendom. Um, but I'm still really curious and interested in knowing more, finding out more. So I read constantly about all of these things and I'm always listening for things that make sense and uh, I, maybe that's part of what I would tell people too my my thing is stay curious stay open stay in a stance that's really eager for learning and discovery because once you land on one thing one interpretation of something uh, you're not open to other possibilities that may be more accurate or make more sense or are more meaningful. So that was long. I was just reading a book called Necessary Endings by Henry Cloud. And 
similarly kind of more of an action-oriented response to that same thought that you were just having, that when we hold on to things, whether thoughts or patterns or relationships or business experiences, we can close down the opportunity for the new yeah. because we're afraid of the ending. And our inability to end something means that we can never begin. Just like the song says, every new beginning is some other beginning's end. <laughs> but I've never heard that song. Closing time. Thank Sorry. you. Never heard that. <laughs> But is that like when God closes a door, he opens no. a window? Is <laughs> no, that, the that is okay. not. No, no, okay. But the the idea being, if we have a posture of finished or closed or, you know, this is what it is, we really are suffocating ourselves. And I mean, this is individually and institutionally in everything we do from being able to see what's about to be born. Yeah. So I, I, I resonate a lot mm-hmm. with that kind of learning mm-hmm. and discovery. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it's good here. I mean, we haven't, I'm not sure we fully lived that out here at Cornerstone, but we're working on it. We're trying it. We're, we're letting people find out things that are different. Uh, for example, my Old Testament class, which is coming up, is probably different than Old Testament classes you would find most other places where I dig into a lot of the scholarship and the different uh, possibilities or the be- most likely options for different things like, um, you know, the origins of Israel and Judah. You know, the archaeology has found a lot of different things about that than what we're used to hearing. So people come to the class, I think, <laughs> they they do get a little freaked out. They but, do. But, yes, uh, they do because yeah. they contact me. Yeah, they, they call <laughs> Tracy. <laughs> and so what is this centered set thing again? Right. Tell, tell me it's exactly. okay. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, the fact that I'm even here and allowed to teach a class like that that's more scholarly than pastoral uh, is really great. I mean, it's, it's nice. Uh, and I feel like I have that to offer to the church, so... Okay, why not? And yeah. Tracy's so good about saying, "Yeah, we're learning a discovery. You go do what you feel like you need to do, and you know it's not going to threaten anybody. Or, well, maybe it, is, it does, but, right? But, you know, it's not going to threaten the church to have someone come in and teach some, you know, something so, different. You know, that's that's seminary. Yeah, literally, that is right. seminary. They they rip down your your theology if you go to a seminary that isn't about perpetuating the denomination. Right. There are some like that. Right. You know, if you go to one that says, I want you to think and to, and to critically think, um, it tears it tears down your theology. All the st- all your pet babies that you walk in there with, you are not walking out with. That is that is for sure. So um, James had to step out in the middle of our podcast, he which is why table. you're not yeah, hearing his he voice. Yeah. He had a, a meeting. So we thank you for uh, listening today. And, you know, these last couple of podcasts, we've had differing opinions, and I love that. We're finally 
doing something where we stay at the table. <laughs> Except James, who just left. Except yeah. James left. <laughs> it's awesome. Oh, he wishes All right. he was still here. So thanks for joining us today, and uh, we really appreciate it. Let your family and friends know that we're here. Thanks so much. We'll see you again. Bye. Staying at the Table is hosted by Dr. Tracy Saletta, Matthew Kistler, and James Beatty, and produced by Hear It Sound and Studio. Got a question or a comment or a topic you want discussed? Email us at adminccf at gmail.com. We'd love hearing from you. And don't forget to subscribe to keep up to date with new episodes coming out. And if you're feeling kind, leave us a review on whatever platform you listen to podcasts. Find out more about staying at the table at cornerstonewestchester.com. Cornerstone.